Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. I want to welcome you here if you're in the room today, and if you're joining us online, we're thankful that you're here today as well. Uh, I, want to, I want to also just add uh, my appreciation to my call uh, for his willingness. As Chris said, during this series, uh, each week we're going to be blessed by a testimony that, that has been shared, it's going to be recorded and played as a part of this series, uh, and it'll be people who are a part of our church family who have been willing to uh, be vulnerable and be transparent about their journey which each, with, with each of these topics. Um, and so that I want to ask if you would uh, to just join me in thanking Mike really quickly for him sharing that. It takes a lot of courage to do that, uh, even if you're doing it in a pre-recorded way. Some of you will hear nothing else that I say because you're going to be Googling existentialism, uh, the word he used, and going down the Google rabbit trail that that leads you on. So have fun with that. The rest of us are going to be in Genesis chapter 32 in just a few minutes. Uh, and I want to just remind you again, after we're done with worship, we're going to be staying in here for our class time uh, kids, fifth grade and down, will have classes still. Our students are going to be in here with us, and uh, we're going to have a conversation uh, about uh, doubt this morning, and so you'll want to be a part of that. One of the things we're going to do is provide an opportunity for people to text in questions, and so if you want, if you're thinking about things already, you have a question that's sort of on your heart, we're using our prayer, text prayer number that we use. You can go ahead and be thinking about those. You can even start texting those in if you have them now. Um, but I uh, want, want you to be aware of that. That number is going to kind of have a double purpose today in uh, serving. If you have a prayer request, you can share it that way. If you have a question for our panel, you can also share it that way. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, uh, we thank you. We're, th we're thankful, Father, that you are making things new and that you make Life, you create life from things where life doesn't seem possible. And today, God, I pray as we gather around your word that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. Um, we thank you for Christ, and we are grateful for his life, and we pray in his name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 32, as I mentioned, and in Genesis 32, we find this really unique story, a uh, story from the life of Jacob. And Jacob has an experience with God that really changes his life and the trajectory of his life forever. And so I want to pick up in Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. This is what, this is what it says. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, 
saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob is, is one of the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And Rebekah, as some of you know, has twins, Jacob and Esau, his brother. Esau was born first, and Jacob was born next. And the Bible says that as Jacob was born, he was clutching the heel of his brother Esau's foot as he came out of the womb. He was clutching his brother's heel as he came out of the womb, which is interesting because that's what the name Jacob actually means, heel grabber. Or maybe another way we would call, another name we would call him in our day, in modern times, we might call him a hustler. We might call him smooth. And what you see as the, the course of his life kind of continues on is that this name means something. His brother Esau was good at hunting. He was an outdoorsman. And Jacob was not, not good at hunting and not an outdoorsman. Jacob was good, though, at always working the angles. Jacob was really good at always running a con. Jacob was also good at getting his way by using other people. Really, the whole, the whole first half of his life, when Jacob meets someone, you get this sense as you're reading Jacob's life, you get the sense that as, as his life unfolds, when he meets someone, he's sort of sizing them up, right? What do you have to offer? Can they benefit me? And how much can they benefit me? And this is how he makes it really through the first half of his life. And as a result, actually, he's all by practical observation. You know, you make, you make the observation, if you looked at his life, you would say, man, he's a success, right? He has a nice house. He has a family. He drives a nice car. I mean, I think that's in there in the Hebrew, original Hebrew somewhere, Right? And, and it's like these cons, these play, the way he plays people, they work to his advantage. And in one of the cons that he runs, he deceives his brother Esau out of Esau's birthright as the oldest child. And then later, Jacob deceives his father Isaac in order to steal the blessing that belonged to the firstborn child. It was quite a con, that story, if you're not familiar with it. His brother Esau was a hairy man, the Bible tells us. So in that story, Jacob, who was not a hairy man, puts animal skin on his arms so that the animal hair makes his arms feel like his brother's arms. So he goes into his nearly blind father to try to steal the birthright, and his, his father's confused because he, his voice sounds like Jacob, but his arms feel like Esau's. It's this fascinating story. There's really, the story is, the point of the story is that there's no length to which Jacob will not go to work people and situations to his own advantage. And after Esau had been cheated out of his birthright, out of, he'd been cheated, after he'd been cheated out of the blessing from his father, he'd had enough, and he's ready, really ready to kill his brother. And so Jacob runs away. And by the time we get to Genesis 32 and the story that we just read, Jacob's been away for many years. He's an older man now, and his brother Esau is on his way to Jacob with 400 men. 400 men. Jacob's life is really is fascinating, right? He's, he's conned and manipulated and worked the angles with all the people in his life, made his way through has some measure of success by the world's standards, but now he's worried it's caught up to him. He can't run anymore. And so we, can, we hear in this story that when he hears that Esau is on his way with these 400 men, he's understandably anxious, as any one of us would be. 
And so he thinks, what should I do, right? Esau's coming, he's going to kill me. And so he gets this idea. He takes all that he has, the story we just read, he takes all he has, his family, his possessions, and he sends them to the other side of the river. And then he divides them into two groups, which is still sort of a way of kind of working the angles, really, right? Because his thought is, if one of them is attacked, I'm going to put some of my people over here and some of my people over here so that if one of them is attacked, I'm not completely wiped out. I'll still have someone left, some sort of heritage, some sort of family line. And so he's still in some ways or another sort of kind of diversifying his assets, right? He's, He's kind of dividing all the things that he has in his life. But then having put everything and everyone on the other side of the river, he spends all night in the camp alone. His stuff isn't there anymore. His family isn't there anymore. The distractions aren't there anymore. His radio, his car doesn't have a radio in it. And so he's alone in a dark camp. And he has a lot on his mind. Mostly, I imagine he's wondering, what in the world is Esau coming to do with these 400 men? I mean, he he has to know that it's not going to be pretty, right? He has to imagine that something is going to go very badly for him. And then suddenly, as he's wondering these things, as he's wrestling with his own thoughts, as he's sitting alone in this dark camp, suddenly someone shows up and attacks him, pushes his face to the dirt, and they begin to wrestle. At first, I think that he imagines that it's Esau. He snuck over the river, he's attacked him, and he's finally there to pay him back for what he's done to his brother. But this isn't Esau. Esau's a hairy guy, and this person isn't hairy. And so he go, it goes on. He, they wrestle and wrestle all night long. It's neck and neck. It's back and forth. They wrestle so long that they are exhausted. They're physically tired. The man can't overpower Jacob, and so he touches his hip and he throws it out. And now Jacob is wounded. He's broken, but he's not giving up. Eventually, Jacob can't do anything more, and so you get this sense as you read the story that he's, he has this man in some sort of a hold, right? The original sleeper hold. He's trying to get this guy to tap out. He's trying to get this guy to submit. He's trying to win the wrestling match, and the stranger says, the sun is coming up. Let me go. I don't want you to see me. Let me go, and Jacob refuses. He says, no, absolutely not. All night long, all Jacob wanted to do was to get away from this man, this stranger. But now, now Jacob is broken and he's tired and he understands that this, this is more than a man. And Jacob says, no, I won't let you go until you give me a blessing. And that's when it happens. The man says, what is your name? And he answers, Jacob. And he says, no longer will you be called heel grabber. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have struggled and wrestled with God and with people and have of Israel. And maybe you're aware of this, but this becomes a pretty important word. You're no longer Jacob, heel grabber, hustler, smooth talker, con man. You're now Israel, God wrestler. You're no longer a heel grabber, now you're one who wrestles and struggles with God. That is who you are, he's told. And I don't think I can overstate this morning, friends, how significant I think this moment is in this story. That Jacob is renamed God wrestler. 
renamed one who struggles with God. I want you to think about this because a name means something, right? We, the name Adam means something. The name Benjamin means something. The name Sarah means something. And of all the names, of all the names that Jacob could have been given, he was given the name Israel. And of course, as many of you know, right, this, this one man will eventually become a nation of people that will be called Israelites. You go from one man who is wrestling with God to a nation of people who are wrestling with God, struggling with God. And this is sort of the way that you see it play out with the nation of Israel. And I think it's so important that we know what this name means because you miss, the, you miss this important detail and you miss the significance that God's people, think about it, God's people were literally named God wrestlers. And it influences, doesn't it, how the way you think about God's relationship with God's people, that God's people would be named strugglers, wrestlers. It changes, I think, the way you read all of the Bible. The Bible is basically this story of people that love God, that want to follow God, but they also are always wrestling, struggling, questioning, making mistakes. They're inconsistent. They falter. They doubt. They don't understand. They, there is lots of, they have faith, and there's lots of stories of significant faith and moments where faith rises up in the midst of their, their story of wrestling. But sprinkled throughout Israel's story, really the whole Bible, we see this consistent theme of wrestling and struggling with God, wanting to understand, but not always understanding. And one of the clearest places that we see this happen later is in the New Testament, right after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is how the story goes in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 disciples, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him after Jesus had been raised from the dead, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in his side where the nails were, put my finger where the nails were, put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, a week passes, and his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was there with all of the other disciples, and the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. When we pick up this story, Jesus has been alive for a week. Some of the disciples have seen him, but not everybody. Word has been spreading, as you can imagine, around all of Jesus' closest followers. Jesus is alive. And while they are gathered there together, Jesus steps into the room. And the way that John writes the story, as Jesus enters the room, you get this sense. I imagine that he locks eyes pretty quickly, if not immediately, with Thomas. And he says to Thomas, I see you, Thomas, with your doubts. I see you with your questions. And it's okay. Come, come here. 
Put your finger in my side. Look at the wounds on my hands. I love this story. I have this picture hanging on my wall in my office because I love the reminder that from, time, from the time of Jacob and having his name changed from heel grabber to God wrestler all the way to now, even up to this very day, doubters, skeptics, wrestlers have been welcomed by God, have been welcomed by Jesus Christ. This image was originally painted by the Italian painter Caravaggio. And if you look closely, you notice several things. First of all, he's, I think he's brilliantly captured the intensity of this moment because there's something that happens between the moment when Jesus walks into the room and looks at Thomas and then invites him to touch him. And we don't get that part of the story. John doesn't give us how that all unfolded, but I think this painting has pretty per perfectly depicted what I imagine that scene to be. I mean, have you ever had a scar, like a really good scar that comes with a really good story? I mean, sometimes we get scars on our body and you're like, I don't even know how I got that scar on my arm, right? But sometimes you have a wound or a scar, it heals, and it's like it's got a really significant story. And it's worth, it's a scar that's worth showing people. I think this is that kind of moment. Right, this, this, Jesus' scars have a story to tell, and Thomas wants to hear all about it, and Jesus can't wait to tell him. And so I think this painting captures the intensity of this moment, but I also think I notice several other things. The next thing that I notice is the, the, the other disciples that are looking on, watching Thomas. Right, we only know from John's account about Thomas's doubts, but surely... Others had them too. Surely somebody else is wrestling with the question, could someone really have come back to life that we saw die? Like we sort of dismiss resurrection as kind of an obvious thing, but just sort of sit with that for a minute. Jesus was dead. They saw him die. They saw him hang on a cross. And now they're saying he's alive. I mean, I'm kind of with Thomas on this one, honestly. Like, unless I see it for myself, I mean, I believe you, Peter, I, I hear you, John, but I'd still like to see it for myself. Most of the time when people talk about Thomas, I, I actually think they kind of talk about him like a coward, doubting Thomas, he's been called, like it's an insult. But the way I see it, when you think about him this way, when you think about him the way that, that this picture portrays I think that he shows courage. He says the things that others wouldn't say. He's willing to lean in close enough to get a closer look. And that leads me to the last thing that I love about this painting. If you notice closely, it may not be great on this image, but you can go back and look at it later yourself. But I noticed Thomas's eyes. Maybe you're able to see at least a little bit that this this. Thomas has been painted as a blind man. His eyes look like he's a blind man. He's holding on to his doubts while he sticks his finger into Jesus' side. And in that moment, his eyes were open because he has the courage to be honest and to wrestle with the doubts that are present in his life. And he has the courage to do that 
in the presence of Jesus Christ. Friends, I, I think we need Thomases. We need people that are willing to bring their questions and to bring their doubts. Thomas goes first, and because he did, others are able to see more clearly. And what I think is so important that we notice is that Thomas's doubt did not prevent him from following Jesus. Jesus welcomed him. Jesus says, look, I get it. I mean, resurrection's a lot to process, right? But I'm really here. I'm really here now, and now you believe because you've seen it. But what's really impressive is what Jesus says after that. He says, there are going to be these people, this whole group of people that will come later. And they're going to have faith without, actually, whatever, without ever seeing me in, in real life, in person. They will not ever put their finger in my side. They will not ever touch my hands, but they will still believe. What I think Jesus is doing in acknowledging that is that he's, he's speaking to us, right? We're, we're the ones that he's speaking to in that moment, trusting in something that we believe is true, that many of us have, have had experiences to confirm that we believe it's true or that we want to believe it's true, but that we haven't actually seen. None of us have seen Jesus with our eyes or touched him with our hands. Sometimes... Sometimes things can be hard in this life, right? On the journey with God, there are things that are hard to understand, things that don't make sense, things that are mysterious. One of of them happens in the story in John chapter 20, how the door could be locked and Jesus just appears, you know? There's mysterious moments in Scripture. There are things like prayer and creation and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, suffering, resurrection, as I've already said that are complex and difficult and hard to understand and think about deeply. Maybe at the surface level, they're they're easy to kind of grasp, but they're they're hard topics. And maybe like many of you, I once assumed at an earlier point in my life that a person's faith is as strong as they are certain. If a person has faith and strong faith, it must be because they are certain about the things that they believe. Some of you might have even been taught something similar at some point in your life, that having faith meant that you had to be certain about everything, that you weren't supposed to question. And what I want to say this morning to us is that doubt, nowhere I see in Scripture, is communicated as the enemy of faith. Faith does not equal certainty. And some of you have experienced what I'm talking about, right, with this journey, you believed one thing at some point in your life, and then life happened. A prayer didn't get answered the way that you thought it might. You come across something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, and you begin to wrestle with it. Some of you have have wounds from church or from church people or from relationships in your life. Some of you have seen unimaginable evil and ugliness at the hands of other human beings, that leave you kind of wondering what in the world is going on in this life. Some of you experienced God seeming distant when you were wanting God to feel close. You've experienced financial struggles, relationships fail, death happens, something else, right? It could be any number of things, but in in every single case, what those moments do is that they force us to reconsider the thing that we believed previously. 
Many of us have experienced these moments. Or we have, if we haven't experienced them, we have friends and family members and other relationship children and grandchildren that have experienced them. They at some point gave up on faith because they ran into a roadblock and they weren't able to get over that. They weren't able to, to move beyond that experience. On the other hand, for some people, faith is, is easier, right? And if that's, if that's you, I want you to hear me say that I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for your experience. But for many others, faith is not always easy. And if that's your story, what I want you to hear today is this. There is room at the table for both people who have zero questions and people who have all the questions. Right? You can still be a person of faith and have those experiences. Questions. Your questions and doubts and wrestling don't make you wrong or somehow less than. What I would say is that they make you an Israelite. They make you a God wrestler. And my encouragement to you today is to continue on the journey, right? If you are or you know someone that is experiencing doubt, what the story of the Bible tells us is that you're in good company. Because from, from the beginning, this is who God's people have been. Jacob and Thomas and others like them, when they experienced these moments where they're wrestling with God, they didn't give up. They pursued God in the midst of those moments, those doubts, those questions. Because they knew, I think that they knew, that faith wasn't about being certain like so many of us might have believed at one point. Faith is not about having all the answers. A true and living faith, I, I believe with all my heart, is not about the destination. It's about the journey and experiencing God on the journey. And it's not about how faithful you or, you or I are. It's about how faithful and good that God is. And what Jesus said to Thomas that day in that room is that on the journey, there are blessings to be found for those that have not seen and still believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we come thankful today for stories like the story of Jacob who became Israel. We're thankful, God, for this, this insight that you named your people God strugglers, God wrestlers, and that we are a part of that family, that we've inherited that, that story in our commitment to follow you and to walk with you. And may we be a community, Father, that that communicates with our lives, with our words, with our actions, that there is room at the table for people who have no questions and people who have all the questions. And may we continue to be a welcoming and hospitable place for those questions to be brought out into the open. May more Thomases emerge among us who raise their hand and say, yes, but what about this? And then we begin into a long conversation exploring and diving deeper, wrestling with you and with your word and with your spirit that is at work in us. Not to get all the answers, not to be certain, but to continue on the journey of faith with Jesus. And this morning, God, I pray for those in this room, those who might hear this later, who have real doubts, serious doubts, things that they are not able to get over. I pray, God, that you will 
surround them with your arms of love, encourage them, and I pray that you will put others in their life that will continue to encourage them to continue to walk on the journey, wrestling, struggling, asking, seeking to understand. And may they find people, community, who will encourage and walk with them, pray for them, support them as they walk on that journey. We're thankful, Father. We are a part of your family. We're a part of that story that continues on to this day of people who are not always understanding but trying our best, continuing to walk in faith. We pray, Father, that you will continue to use these words that we've looked at in Scripture today, that they might encourage us and spur us on the journey. We love you, and we're thankful for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And the church said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. Uh, We're going to sing another song, and then uh, we'll continue in worship.